So it's kind of interesting as we've been rolling along in the book of Ephesians that on this particular Sunday, which happens to be Father's Day, we also happen to be getting into the what is traditionally or commonly known as a household code where a authority figure in a person's life will, this is in the Greco-Roman Jewish context of the first century, they will talk about the household relationships. And so it's just kind of interesting. Didn't really plan it. But saw it coming. It was like, oh, hey, that's interesting. On Father's Day, we're going to be in Ephesians 5 and 6. It talks about fatherhood. That's kind of cool. So maybe the Lord wants us to spend some time here today talking about fatherhood. And we're going to. And it's no coincidence whatsoever that uh, this passage about relationship roles and relationship relationships, wait, relation, household <laughs> relationships within the, the family no coincidence that that comes right on the heels of Paul talking about this amazing message that as followers of Jesus, we, we can put on a new self that is made in the image and likeness of God, true righteousness and true holiness. This is new character. We're a new creation. We have a new nature inside of us. And Paul's been talking about it for the last two chapters and so we've been digging into this great news that we do not have to let sin win. That's, that's incredible news. Rather, we can overcome sin by learning how to dwell with God. And as we live life with God, we're going to put on this new nature that's upside down to what was possible before for us. And not, not coincidentally, Paul rolls that right into the relationships that we have in everyday life. And what's the message? If God's not transforming your everyday relationships, you're missing the point. It's where it all goes. It's not just this, oh, me and God, and it has nothing to do with out here. No, it starts you and God and then has everything to do with out here. And so that's where he goes. And it happens to include fatherhood. But before we get there, I want to kind of follow a, a leading of the heart. I love this passage in Ephesians, and I love fatherhood. I'm, God gave me the privilege to be a father to, to three young, young men, 18, 14, and, and 8, 9, 9. Yeah, he knew I couldn't handle girls. <laughs> he knew I might kill someone. You know, like, that's a joke for the Internet out there. Don't cancel me. He knew that, uh, you know, anyways, never mind. I'm the father of three boys, and I'm absolutely delighted, but I can't wait to have granddaughters. It's going to be a beautiful thing. So fatherhood matters a lot to me, and I wrestle with over the years, what does it mean to be a godly father? What is my mission statement as a follower of Jesus? How do I put that into fatherhood? So we're going to get there. It's in Ephesians. But there's also uh, the reality, and this is where just kind of not in the lift notes following the heart. I think this is a absolutely fundamental and important question just to at times address and and come back to in God's word just even that very idea of God as father that doesn't immediately connect with everyone in fact I've been doing this we've been doing this long enough to know that for some that, that that's even a, a, a painful image at times or a, a distant image or it doesn't doesn't conjure up good emotions or thoughts 
but what we think about God matters greatly. Our understanding of, of who God is, our image of God, who we think God is and what God is like is the most important thing about us in our minds. It defines us. It defines how we live. It defines how we see the world. It defines when we wake up in the morning. And so I wanted to spend a moment here going to battle, if you will, for the importance of recognizing the goodness of our Heavenly Father. It is one of the things that Jesus goes to battle about. In fact, when he talks about the most personal and intimate thing that a person can do, which is pray, he revolutionizes prayer with the concept of the nature of God, the character of God, how God wants to be known, how God wants to relate to us. If we step back for a minute and think about prayer, it is incredibly personal, incredibly intimate, incredibly vulnerable. This is us as humanity, you as, as individuals. I mean, there's corporate prayer, but all prayer is also very personal. And most of the prayer we do happens on our own. And so when we pray, we are in that most vulnerable and intimate place, believing that a supernatural power, a deity outside ourself exists and in some way wants to relate with us, connect with us. There's relationship. And so that concept, that image, that picture of what is, what is that God like matters so much. Absolutely will change our life depending on if, is, is it a true concept? Is it good? What does it do to your soul? For example, if, if God is, is far away and doesn't really care and mainly angry and saying, what have you done today? Get it right. Perform a little better. If you feel like you have to do enough to earn your value or to be loved, then you have toxic lies that are poisoning your soul. But guess what? Everyone on the planet has those. It's the number one lie of the enemy is to say you've got to perform in order to earn approval and an identity. It's every religion in the world and a lot of Christianity, and it's an utter lie from hell. And Jesus goes after that in many ways, but with the image of God as Father. When people come to him, and this is Luke 11, and his disciples say, these are people that are close to him, and they say, would you teach us to pray? You have this connection with God that, that, we, that we don't have. The way you interact with God, the relationship you have, the fruit that it produces in your life, both in your power and your peace and your joy, we, we, we need to know God like you do. Teach us to commune with God like you. Teach us to pray. And if we take the words of Jesus seriously, it will revolutionize our lives. Jesus says, okay, I'll teach you to pray. This is Luke eleven two, And he says this, pray like this, Father. Let's stop there. Just stop. 
This is, as a Christian, we believe this is God incarnate in the flesh, representing, revealing who God is. Jesus, I'm talking about God incarnate, God in the flesh, revealing to the world, this is how God wants to be known. This is how God wants to relate with you. And in the most intimate, vulnerable, childlike, personal space, you start with this, Father. And then it all flows. And he goes on to teach famously the Lord's Prayer. But what I want to just focus on today is what is your starting posture with God? Is it that childlike place? What did Jesus do in regards to the children, right? He's not only teaching that God is Father, he's completing the picture by saying, and therefore we have to learn, all of us, how to posture our heart as beloved children. It's kind of that two-way street, the two-way pieces of the relationship. Yes, God is Father, but that only goes so far if you don't know how to posture your heart as a beloved child. And that's why when... when the disciples were ironically arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus, it says in Matthew 18 too, he takes a little child and he puts a child in the midst of Jesus' chosen leaders who are arguing about the greatness of them with one another. It's just awesome to see they're total buffoons like us. There's good news for us, right? These are Jesus' leaders arguing with each other about how they're greater than each other. Okay? By the way, here's a plug for life groups. If you're not in a life group yet, get in the life group so that you too can have those kind of fun arguments like the disciples. <laughs> Kidding. But we need community. So he puts a child in front of them. And he says, truly I say to you, unless you change your mind, repent, turn, Change your mind and become like little children. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> wow. Unless your mind changes, unless you have a repentance, a renewal of your mind. This is good news, by the way. Anytime Jesus says something, it's good news of the fullness of the abundant life that we're made for. And so Jesus says, hey, it's a challenge, obviously, because they're arguing, but it's good news. Stop trying to do it on your own strength and argue with each other about who's the greatest. You're missing the point. God is that perfect heavenly father, and your job is to figure out, renew your mind, figure out how to get into a childlike posture. And then the warning, because if you don't know how to do this, you're not encountering the kingdom of heaven in your life. It's that fundamental, this picture of God wanting to relate with us as the perfect heavenly parent and us learning how, therefore, to posture our hearts with a humble, childlike demeanor. That's the two-way street. And Jesus paints that picture even further in Matthew 11 and in Luke excuse me, Matthew 7 and in Luke 11 where he teaches on the Lord's Prayer, he goes on to further elaborate on the nature of this heavenly Father that Jesus says, hey, when you're starting the, that most intimate conversation you could possibly ever have, start with 
a childlike posture, father. And then he goes on to say, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Or Matthew says, give good gifts to those who ask. I absolutely love what Jesus does here. The fierce love of a parent is an absolutely universal quality. Every tongue, tribe, and nation, every culture, every time across humanity for the entire existence of the world. Now, there's been dark and depraved times in various ways, but every single culture across the time scope has been able to relate with this gut-level, visceral reality that one of the most powerful forces in the universe is parental love. That it's all the way down to like primal instinct of how God has hardwired it into people. A parental love. So as Jesus says, even if you're evil, if your child asks for bread, your impulse is not, no, just die. It's give them bread and not an egg. Or if they ask for a fish, it's not, no, I don't care about you. Here's a snake. Get poisoned. It's no, I will give you a fish. There is deep, primal, spiritual, God-like impulse wired into our DNA as people, as parents, that when we look upon our children, the glory of God rises up in us and says, I care about you. I want to take care of you. I want to provide for you. I want to fight for you. I want to go to battle for you. And here's the awesome thing, because you can relate, parents, grandparents, even if you're not a biological parent, why do so many, at times, manipulative pictures show up on the TV of little kids? Because there's this godly, glorious instinct in us that God put there to care about children. Even to the point that children can be used as manipulated. We, we can, people can get manipulated by kids. Seeing pictures of kids suffering is this universal thing. No, that's not how it's supposed to be. And so even if you're not a biological parent, you can join in with what Jesus is saying here in that impulse to want to do good for kids. And then all the way up to where, as a parent, a grandparent, a spiritual parent, you feel something inside of you that, will, that makes you absolutely fierce in wanting to care for your kids. God gave it to you. Heck, you need it. Otherwise, you'll go insane if you have kids. Because <laughs> you need to have that fresh glory of God on you every day you wake up to deal with them. And I can say that loud because none of my kids are in the room. <laughs> so the rest of you sitting next to your kids, just get a little uncomfortable. 
the, the glory rises up. Does it not? It's there. And here's what's so incredible to me. Jesus says, can you relate with that in any fashion? Because guess what? That is what God is like, except way better. That impulse you feel to take care of your kids, that's how God feels about you, except way better. That impulse you feel to provide for your kids and take care of your kids, that's how God feels about you, except way better. That desire you have to see your kids flourish, to see them step into an abundant life, to see them thriving, that's how God feels about you, except way better. That glory that rises up in you, that will be fierce to fight for your kids and even sacrifice for your kids, that's not you. That's the glory of God rising in you. And guess what? In comparison to how much you have and God, you're evil. God's perfect. Jesus is trying to rewire our brains. He's trying to renew our minds, as he explicitly said in Matthew 18. We need to renew our thinking. We need to posture our hearts to become childlike in the kingdom of God, where we have a perfect heavenly Father. And I just love this passage so much, because it's so relatable, it's so personal, but it's so simple. Every single one of us wakes up in the morning with a concept of who God is, what is God like, how can I relate with God? And Jesus makes it so simple. Every impulse of goodness that you feel towards children, God's like that towards you, except perfect. And that is, that is supposed to be the broad stroke canvas of what's on our hearts about who God is. That's why Jesus says, this is how you start prayer. I mean, there is... Nothing that is more broad stroke, personal and intimate about what is God's nature like than when we pray. So it's no accident whatsoever that Jesus says. So in that vulnerable moment where your soul is, is open and, and, and vulnerable, what is, you're, you're looking for an answer to a question, what is God like? And Jesus says, no, he's the perfect heavenly parent. It's so simple. Any impulse of goodness you feel towards any child on the planet, that is what God wants you to know, that he feels that way about you. Except perfect. Except way better. Except beyond what you could even ask or imagine. And that right there is a fundamental game changer. That is worth that passage, those pictures, those images of who God is, is worth wrestling with, wondering about, sitting in, feeling where that clashes with your mind, feeling with where it clashes with your reality, whether it's God as that perfect heavenly parent, that perfect father, or whether it's you being able to rest and be childlike and not feel like you've got to do it on your own strength and work constantly, exhaustingly, 
for approval and value and love. This is the stuff right here where salvation takes place. This is where healing takes place. This is where redemption of your life takes place. This is where when you encounter God in these ways, there's a fire in your belly that just says, this is it. This is what life's about. I know now. I know what, I know what I'm on this earth for. I know what, who God is. I found what I'm looking for. And I'm not there yet, but this is what the soul is made for, to be able to relate with God like this. This is heaven. This is heavenly. And so I encourage you to pursue this. This is not a, a one-time message. This, this is life. Jesus said it's the constant renewing of our mind. These are the things to sit on, to soak in, because the more... This becomes not just a truth on a page, but in an encounter, in a relationship. You will step into the abundant life that you did not know was possible. Jesus anchors everything on this. That's why he says in this whole passage in Luke 12, it's a, it, following this Lord's Prayer, and he talks about these, these huge things about all the carries, the cares of life, the worries of life, where we, got, we wonder... Where's the next meal going to come from? Where are the clothes going to come from? Who's providing for me? Do I have to take care of myself? No, I'm chasing after this, and I'm chasing after that, and I'm chasing after you know, esteem and prestige and provision, and I'm, I'm, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. And Jesus says, you're not made to live that way. He says, come on, look at, the, look at the lilies of the field and all their glory. They let the Lord take care of them where he says, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. Like once, once you see this picture that Jesus is trying to paint, and here's the deal, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me, and that should be a universal response as a Christian. Jesus is the fullest revelation of the character and nature of God that humanity has ever seen. He is enough. He is the epicenter of revelation, of how God wants to be known to bring your soul alive and give God glory. And he goes after this everywhere. So these passages are the ones to soak in. Give yourself grace for the process. It's going to be a journey but this is the stuff that Jesus was convinced will bring salvation and healing and victory to your life. All right, so that was a side note. But it fits perfectly into... Now, in Ephesians 5, it, it, it's all connected. It's the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. And so we, as we get into Ephesians 5, and he starts to talk about these everyday relationships that we have in the home, fatherhood is simply an extension of us putting on this new self that's possible 
as we believe in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and regenerates us, makes us new so that we have this new nature, so that we can connect with God and experience God as that perfect parent, that perfect heavenly father. Guess what? Now you just get to go shine it into the home. And I'm going to talk to the fathers here for a few minutes if you're not a biological father, then extend it out. This is fathers, grandfathers, and goodness gracious does the world need spiritual fathers. That, that is one of the places where in the world that we live in right now, there is an absolute crisis due to a depravity of godly men who are willing to step up and reflect the heavenly Father to the world around them, particularly to the young people around them, to show them what is the heavenly Father like. See, that's, that's kind of where it all kind of comes to pass is when we, have, when we have fathers in our life, earthly fathers and grandfathers and spiritual fathers who represent and reflect the heart of God well, then when the gospel is preached about a good father, guess what? The soil is fertile for the hearts to hear and, and, and say, you know what? I've already experienced that. I believe that's real. And I see it in this person who's in my life. And I know they give glory to God. I know they give credit in their life and the good fruit to the glory coming out of them. What's shining out of them is because of God in them. So you know what? That makes sense. I receive that. That's what happened to me. That's when I, why, Dad, watching from Hawaii, love you. That's why when I in my early adulthood, encountered these passages in the Bible, it was like there wasn't a big struggle. There wasn't a big battle. There was like, absolutely that's what God's like. How do I know that and believe that's so easy? Because I've seen it my whole life. And I know I have a father who wouldn't give himself the glory and credit for that because he's in church every week and he's on his knees in prayer and he's going to Bible study and he's interacting with my mom in a wildly, wonderfully humble, mutually submissive, as Ephesians 5.21 says the foundation of marriage is. By the way, we'll get there in a moment. And so in all these pictures of the nature of the heart of God, I'm like, yeah, I've already seen that. It's real. And that's, that's, that's what the world needs. I'm not saying that God can't work when that's not there, but my goodness, the soil is so much more fertile when it is. The road is so much longer and harder when it is, has to be redeemed from the pit of abuse and bad example. And that's what we're seeing. I mean, the statistics don't lie. Those who didn't have good examples of fathers are, 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 are cast into the pit. I was looking up the stats on it. It's one of the easiest things to find, sadly, in the world on the internet is the stats on the painful results of fatherlessness. There's a website, I believe it's fatherhood.com, National Fatherhood Initiative. It talks about the father absence crisis in America. According to this uh, U.S. Census Bureau from 2020, 
There are 18.3 million children in the United States of America. That's over one in four. That's over 25% that live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. So we're not even talking about like marriages stay together. This is anything. Consequently, in deep science-based sociological research, there is clearly undeniably as much as many sources out there would want to say children don't even need a father that's a lie from the pit of the hell from the pit of hell and science proves it all over the place this father factor in nearly all of the societal ills facing our country in a father absent home the statistics are far worse there is a four times greater risk of poverty Children ending up living in poverty without a father in the home. Without a father in the home, there's seven times, seven times more likely for a young lady to become pregnant as a teen out of wedlock. Seven times. That's a lot. That's more than double. That's seven times. They're more likely to have behavioral problems in school, to use drugs, to face abuse and neglect I mean, one of, sex trafficking is one of the most awful demonic, thing, demonic things happening in our world today. And fatherless in the home is a massive factor for that to happen to young girls. Two times greater risk of a child dying in childbirth without a father in the home. And that's a wild one. Think about that. A father's not there, and there's a twice as high of an infant mortality rate. How? So things get way more than physical presence is the point. Spiritual, emotional, it's all connected. Because twice as many babies die when the dad's not in the home. That doesn't even make sense from a biological standpoint. Because it's not biology alone. Children are more likely to go to prison, commit a crime, abuse drugs and alcohol, twice as likely more to drop out of high school. The stats go on and on to just confirm God's word and God's design from the beginning. And men, we need to find the glory in us that will help us reflect the nature of God to the world around us. So the challenge for today is fathers, men, Spiritual fathers, grandfathers, do you have a mission statement for your fatherhood? Do you have a clearly stated goal for the way that you interact with those around you who are younger than you, where you demonstrate fatherhood? It could just be in the way that you coach in the city. Could be in the way that you teach Sunday school. Could be in the way that you interact with the kids in the neighborhood. Could be the way you interact with your biological kids and grandkids. The world is looking for father figures. And so, God's word says, arm yourself. Make sure you know your mission. And I want to challenge fathers today to get in the lift notes afterwards and spend some time reflecting. If it's not already clear... For you, for you, develop it. Take some time with it. Don't rush it. But find a clear, develop with the Holy Spirit's guidance, a mission statement for your fatherhood. How are you asking for God's help 
to live out the Father heart of God to the world. How are you revealing God to the world? Because one way or another you are, especially if they know you're a Christian. And so this is about setting those healthy goals that are part of that new self that has a new nature that Paul says, put it on. What else is put it on other than here's a goal. Have this as your desire, as your mission statement, as your goal. Put this on. So when it comes to fatherhood, it's what are you putting on? What are you partnering with your heavenly father to put on and reflect out to the world? I'll give one example. This is one that just, this is for me. I, with the Lord, doesn't have to be yours. But from the Bible, here's the wrestling through that comes up to me. My mission statement as a father to reflect my heavenly father and thus encourage I like that word courage. I got three sons, so that courage is a good word. To encourage, meaning put courage in them, to be fully alive in God, to be fully alive in who God designed them to be through building in them a healthy identity and a powerful destiny. Healthy identity, powerful destiny. And you see it right here in Ephesians. And we're gonna, I'm going to hit a couple of these verses real quick, and we're going to close. To reflect our Heavenly Father, to build in identity and destiny. And those are different things, and we've got to be careful that we don't mix them, because that can be dangerous, actually. So when we hit into Ephesians 5, this whole chapter, and, and obviously this is going to be really quick in the next five to eight minutes here, so this chapter is loaded with good stuff talking about what it, looks on to, what it looks like to put on the new self in these relationships that we have every day. I want to just highlight two quick things about leading well with our kids, our spiritual kids, and our grandkids. And it has to do with that living out of a mission statement of reflecting our Heavenly Father and building healthy identity and destiny into our kids. So let's look at a couple of these verses. And if you're following in the lift notes, I want to look at leading well as a father, grandfather, and spiritual father. Number one thing here is be the first into battle on behalf of your kids. Be the first into battle on behalf of your kids. And you can expand that out to say on behalf of your wife, on behalf of your family on behalf of your grandkids, on behalf of the, the spiritual children that God brings into your sphere of influence. As Ephesians 5 says, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And that word head is an incredible word. It's, it's the picture of the general that would be willing to die because he believes in the cause and he will sacrifice for the army that's behind him and the cause that it's fighting for. And so when it says charge, it is not the one who sits back and watches the battle take place and watches all the casualties happen and then goes back and reports it to the, to the higher up. This is the picture of the first one into battle. So at the moment of charge, they are leading in the most 
dangerous place who will likely take the darts from the enemy before anyone else. Which ironically, in the next chapter, Paul's going to say, put on your armor because the darts of the enemy are coming at you, general. And so this is a picture of spiritual leadership in your home where you don't sit around and just look for the casualties of, of, of life. You know a battle is raging, and so you are proactive to say, I need to get right, I want to get right with God, and be right and live right so that I can reflect God to the world, my kids, my wife, my family, by fighting for them to the point of dying as the number one leadership quality that they would see in me. Sacrificial love. It's literally in the passage where it says Christ models this headship as he gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. Sacrificial love. Sacrificial leadership. That's the agape love that overflows that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 1. That's the, that's the core nature and character of the heart of our Heavenly Father. Agape love that poured out from before eternity passed to the point where He was willing to send His own Son to die on our behalf. That's the heart of our Heavenly Father. And now it's modeled in Jesus. <laughs> and, Jesus and Paul says, and Jesus modeled it for you. It is the heart of the Father. Jesus models the heart of the Father. And he says, fathers, model this for your family. Be the first one into that battle. Life is a battle. Life is a spiritual battle. No question about it. And you're either winning that battle or you're losing that battle. You're in the battle. And so we are called as men to be the type of leaders who will say, I am going to be first to the fight. And so when it comes to identity and destiny, you can make it real practical. For the identity of our children, the first to the fight means that our children will see and hear modeled from us, through us, more than anyone else in their life that they are loved and valuable and it's free. That's the heart of the Father. That's the gospel message. That's what Jesus is trying to preach. He's trying to get people to believe it. You do not have to work for or earn an identity. Stop trying to strive for approval. The whole concept of grace is that it's a freely given gift. Your identity is secured in Christ. You are a beloved child of God by simply receiving that reality. That's the heart and nature and character of God, and Christ makes it possible for God to justly relate with us in that way. And so as fathers, we model for our kids that love is free an inexhaustible fountain 
that I cherish you and value you and approve of you before you've done anything. And that will challenge us. It is the love of God in Christ, is it not? Because the moment now we say, you've got to earn my love, we've gone into a works-based mentality that is not the gospel, and if it's not the gospel and we're trying to represent the Father, then it is not where we start from with our kids. It's grace. You are loved and valued from the moment of conception, from the moment of birth, from the moment I laid eyes on you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. That is the very heart and nature of God our Father. And so to build that kind of identity into our children as, the, as going into battle for them is utterly crucial. Do you know why? Because they're going to hear an opposite message everywhere. Everywhere. That says you have to do X, Y, and Z to earn love, to earn value, to earn approval, to be good enough. And watch out. I mean, we live in a dangerous world right now where the emerging generation is terrified of doing anything wrong. Why? I I was with a group of pastors this week, and they were talking about this reality among the, the emerging generation. They're terrified. Why? Of getting canceled. It's where, this was like shocking to me just because I'm old and so I don't even care what the world out there thinks of me. So like, to, 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 but for young people who've grown up where their identity is wrapped up in social media and in what their friends say about them, and so they live with this terrorizing fear that if they say one wrong thing, they can be completely canceled by all of their friends in a moment, disproved of. You are canceled. That is the exact opposite of the gospel message, which says, in all your filth, I approve of you, and I've loved you from the beginning. I see it. I still love you. And so that's, there's a battle. And so that's the kind of stuff as fathers, we got to know it. We've got to see it. And to be first in the battle means making sure our kids are hearing the right message from us more than anywhere else. And we're partnering with our wife to make sure they're hearing that message in the home as the heart of God. And then when it comes to our, their identity, excuse me, when it comes to their, their destiny, which has to do with the gifts and passions and calling that God has put on their life, to be first into battle means that we are looking to be their advocates where we let go of our pride and we let go of our <laughs> desire of what we think they should be and what that we want them to be in our own brokenness, and we put on the new self, and we say, I want to see them with God's eyes. God, who have you designed them to be? What gifts and passions have you given them, and how can I partner with you to see them raised up, lifted up, empowered to be who you've created them to be? And we got to be careful, though. That's not their identity. Their value does not come from what they do. And that's another place why we've got to be so in the middle of this, of this war. 
We've got to be first in the battle because, again, the world is telling them you are defined by what you do. I had a fabulous conversation with my 18-year-old son a, a few weeks back about this right here, identity and destiny. And by the end of it, his, uh, his phrase was so awesome to me. He's like, this is he's like, so, Dad, in other words, I've already won. And now the rest of life is just... And he used this phrase about a video game <laughs> that I didn't even understand. He had to define it. He's like, and the rest of life is just free play. And I still don't quite understand it, but help me out. I've, I'm trying to get it. The idea is after you've already beat the video game, conquered the most important battle, then you just get to keep playing for free. And it's still fun, but you can't lose. And so you just get to kind of still get more powers and still do cool stuff and still like do something that's like, you know, it's, it, it's meaningful and it matters, but you've already won. And it was just this awesome translation that he made of the nature of God in our conversation about this exact stuff where he was getting freed from the lies of the world that were coming at him because he had a horrible neck injury and went from like a possible salutatorian, valedictorian, crazy 4.29 million GPA to he, could, he barely is even graduating high school. And, and the clash that happened because of that and all the messages, even from well-meaning people and teachers and whatever about where does your value come from? And so this is kind of going into battle for him. And, and by the end, his translation of hearing that his identity is secure. He is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And that's coming from the heart of the father, feeling that grace. His translation was, oh, so it's like with life. So the 18-year-old boy is looking out at life, and he's, his, his words were, so I've already won. And the rest is just free play. Yes, son, your identity is secure. And step into your destiny that God has for you, and you will do significant things. They will be powerful, but you're right. It's just free play. It's not so that you can be approved of someday or have value. You've already won. And so, yeah, these are, the, and I'm just giving examples of this stuff is raging all the time. All the time for our kids, our grandkids, our spiritual kids, the kids in your neighborhood. And so we have the privilege to say, we get to reflect our Heavenly Father. We got to be the first in the battle. And the last thing we'll, we'll, I'll close on here is this one other place in Ephesians 6.4 where it says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so I want to put a tiny piece on this. It's, sorry, it's worth much more. But to lead well. Here's, here's a kind of a little meme to wrestle with. Know the pulse, the spiritual pulse. Know the spiritual pulse at all times and be able to respond being led by the Spirit. So this is your kids, your grandkids, those kids that God's given you a sphere of influence. you got to know the pulse. And that's what this is about here. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here's what that means. 
briefly. In our weakness as men, in our brokenness, you know what we are good at? Just barking orders. Your kids don't need that. We can lay down the law. We can set the rules. Now, they do need all that, but the improper application of that does not feed the soul. All it does is provoke to anger. So this is about having a spirit-led, being a spirit-led father who can feel the pulse of where their kids are at to be able to bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord, but it's not just this just blanket squashing application that just provokes anger. And we all know, because we've all experienced it, if, if we just hear heavy-handed rules, what's, what do we all want to do? Rebel. We all feel that. We all felt that in 2020, right? Heavy-handed rules without nuanced application, and we're all like, no thanks, get out of it, get off me. That's easy to do as a dad. So this is about humbling ourselves in that childlike posture of God, I need help. It's not just about the rules of right and wrong, though they're there. That's the instruction of the Lord and the discipline of the Lord, but it's about knowing the pulse, feeling where our son or daughter or granddaughter or grandson or spiritual son or daughter is at and and, and, and humbling ourselves to say, Holy Spirit, lead me to partner with you for what you're doing in their life. And that'll change everything. Because it's not a formula. I've got three boys. When I try to just do a formula of applied rules, it's disastrous. Because they're all at different places, developmentally, maturity-wise, personality. Now, this doesn't mean that you compromise the truth of who God is. It's the same instruction in the Lord, the discipline of the Lord, right and wrong. This is who God is. They need those boundaries. But this, that's what this verse is saying that in a, in a kind of an upside-down way. Calls us to that humble place of saying, God, I've got, I've got to be led by the Spirit. I've got to be able to feel the pulse of where they're at to know how to calibrate what is the Spirit of God doing in their life right now and be a part of partnering with that.